everyone. I'm Kalila Reynolds and welcome to another live edition of Taking Stock. Yes, we are live. I saw somebody asking in the comments if this is one of the pre-recorded shows. Nope, we are here live and in person as we are almost every Tuesday night of the year. We're bringing you all the latest business news and telling you how it will affect you and your money. Tonight is a special night because we have a guest from foreign, from Yad originally, now in foreign. She's going to tell you all about her story and it's the return of Julian Morrison. You guys have been asking, where's been, where's Julian? What's Julian been up to? You miss him? Well, he'll be joining us on the analyst panel later. So we're looking forward to that. Remember also to head over to kalilareynolds.com slash newsletter. Once this live has ended, you can get the newsletter straight to your inbox and keep up with everything we have going on. There's always a lot happening, especially inside the Money Mission community. Remember to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel and let us know where you're joining us from in the comments. We've got a great show lined up for you. So here's a look at what's coming up in tonight's show, followed by what's hot in business. And come on, let's get this money. This country girl from St. Elizabeth has found success abroad. Her business, Five Minute Bookkeeper, was featured on Good Morning America and The Breakfast Club. Nicole Barham is helping entrepreneurs across the world go from being stressed out about tax season to being on top of their game. She'll tell us how she got started and what's next for her and the company. And the analysts swain on the latest market developments. The financial results are out for JC Newcomer Image Plus Consultants and Jamaica Broilers Group. How did they perform? We'll discuss. First, here's What's Hot, brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. Scientists say 2023 is on track to become the hottest year on record. This comes after last Thursday became the hottest day ever recorded. The average worldwide temperature on Thursday, July 6, reached 17.23 degrees Celsius after breaking the record three times that week. EU researchers said last month the world experienced its warmest June on record, as an extreme heat wave claimed almost 100 lives in Mexico. Scientists said that we are entering uncharted territory as climate change makes weather predictions near impossible. According to a new PwC survey, one in four employees think it is likely they'll change jobs in the next 12 months. The 2023 Hopes and Fears Global Workforce Survey found that despite a softening of the global economy, the Great Resignation is likely to continue for some time. According to the survey, 35% of workers who said they are most likely to change employers are Gen Z. And an additional 44% said they'd leave because they feel overworked, and less than half said they found their jobs fulfilling. The report also noted that the economic squeeze is also driving up pay demands, with 42% of workers saying they plan to ask for a raise. Roughly 1,500 new BPO jobs will be available following the opening of a second building in the GTEC Park in Portmore. Covering five acres, GTEC Park, a three-building complex, totals 240,000 square feet of space for BPO operations. Buildings 1 and 2 have been completed. Building 2, which was opened last week, is expected to bring in 1,500 new jobs through its lease agreement with BPO company Ibex. The park reportedly cost developers $3.5 billion to complete. 
Twitter has threatened legal action against Meta over its new text-based app called Threads. Just hours after Threads launched, Twitter's attorney sent a letter to Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg accusing the company of stealing Twitter's trade secrets and other intellectual property to create a copycat app. Threads smashed records last week, gaining 30 million downloads in six hours. The downloads are spread by Twitter users, growing frustrations with the app following several unpopular changes billionaire Elon Musk made after buying the platform last year. Meta's team responded to Twitter's claim by saying none of Threads' engineers are former Twitter employees. Global oil prices climbed about 3% to a nine-week high on Friday, as top oil exporters Saudi Arabia and Russia announced fresh output cuts. Brent futures rose $1.95 to settle at $78.47 a barrel, while West Texas Intermediate crude rose $2.06 to settle at $73.86. That was the highest close for Brent since May 1 and WTI since May 24. This latest round of oil production cuts brings the total reductions by the OPEC Plus group to around 5 million barrels per day or about 5% of global oil demand. What's Hot was brought to you by JMMB Group, your best interest at heart. This segment of Taking Stock is brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Welcome back, welcome back. Let's shout out all our early viewers, starting with Orain, who was the first one to comment this evening. What does he mean? Are we putting you to sleep, Orain? I don't know what that, that's supposed to mean, or maybe it's the beehive and you're buzzing, okay, hive. I can work with that. I can live with that. Lemoy says, good evening, money makers. Jamon joining, well, saying good evening as well. Leon says, blessings, let's get this money. And he wanted to know if this was pre-recorded. No, it is not. Jason wants us to have on the finance minister to talk about blacklisting that Jamaica is facing. I finally got your attention with that one, huh? Because we've been talking about this issue for a couple of years now, and nobody's really been paying attention. But talk about online shopping and saying that now we're at risk for not being able to shop online. I noticed that some of these merchants are no longer accepting Jamaican cards. Now you start to understand what we're talking about when we say AML, CFT compliance, and all the acronyms and the alphabets and stuff. This is the implication that we're having. So maybe we should indeed uh, look towards trying to get that interview. Kish is joining us from London as usual. Michelle says, good evening, wealth creators. The heat is indeed on. My gosh, it is hot. And my AC went out in here. Like, I don't know, like all the ACs just decide that summertime, maybe they're just being overworked and they decide to pop down. Got my car AC gone in, the office AC gone in. And then the one at my house is like kind of acting up. They're overworked, man. It's really hot. Uh, who else we have? Raquel, as usual, says, hey, money makers. Anthony says, Portmore in the building. We have Michael joining us from Kingston. Joseph joining from Barbados. Sonia from Portmore. Ingrid saying good evening from Bull Bay, St. Andrew. Humble Boss joining from Negril. Shout out to Lithium, who is one of our Money Mission members, so one of the Money Soldiers. Appreciate you, Lithium. So uh, that person inside the Build Your Budget workshop last night, it was lit. I'm going to give you highlights later. Donovan joining from Kingston. Damien from Portmore. And LeVar Singh joining from Hot, Hot Mandeville. Quite unusual, because you know that town. It's usually cool, but right now, it's running hot. All right, let's get into this evening's 
main interview, you know, you don't normally think of bookkeeping as sexy, right? You think of bookkeeping as uh, kind of like librarians and bookkeepers, <laughs> the, the thick glasses and, uh, you know, it's one of those jobs that somebody has to do. But accurate bookkeeping is one of the most important parts of running a business. It can also be one of the trickiest, especially for entrepreneurs. And that's why Nicole Barham, is it Barham or Barham? Is it H silent? She'll tell us in a bit. Created her business called Five Minute Bookkeeper to help entrepreneurs stay on top of their finances. And the reason I really wanted to interview her is because she's one of these Jamaican success stories. She is an inspiration to us all. And let us know here, Nicole all about her business journey. Hi, Nicole. Hello there, Kalila. So no thick glasses. You know, <laughs> the... <laughs> no, not the librarian look today, no. <laughs> okay, good. You're, you're the sexy bookkeeper. Yes. <laughs> Is it Barham or Barham? It's Barham. Okay, so you do pronounce the H. Cool. Well, yes. give us some background about you. You're from Yard. You're born yes. in St. Elizabeth. Tell us all about that journey and how you ended up in the United States where you are now. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much, Kalila, first of all, for having me. Um, I'm a typical Jamaican country girl, grew up um, in St. Elizabeth, St. Best. Shout out to anybody who is on here from St. Elizabeth. And um, just literally have, have always loved numbers, right? Numbers, right? And um, went to school in Kingston, went to Wilmer's, and that's where I kind of honed my accounting skills, for want of a better, um, you know, term. The, the accounting started from, um, I think it was uh, third or fourth form, fourth form. So, and then started to work with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as an as an accounting clerk, um, of just right out of high school, right? And then did accounting for the Jamaican Foreign Service for 11 years went to work in New York at the consulate, worked in the Jamaican High Commission in Ottawa doing their books. And let me tell you, I know bookkeeping is boring, as a lot of people like to say, but a business cannot succeed, at least not long term, without bookkeeping, without being on top of the finances, without knowing exactly what's happening with your business, how much coming in, how much is going out, what's your profit, what's your loss, can you afford to stay in business, right? So it's the unsexy part of the business, but it's the mandatory and necessary part of the business. So that's my um, my background when it comes to just wanting to help entrepreneurs be on top of their finances. Um, yeah, Kalila. So you're one of those rare people who actually knew very early what you wanted to do, studied it, and is still working in that industry. Yes, and you know what's funny? I have a funny story about that. My grandmother actually, when I was maybe about five or six, she asked me, Nicole, Nikki, she, so they call me Nikki, right? So she said, Nikki, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to be a lawyer because, you know, everybody wanted to be a lawyer mm -hmm. and that's sexier than accountant, right? And she said, no, don't be no lawyer. They tell too much lie. <laughs> <laughs> so she said, be an accountant. So here I am. Thank you, Grandma, for planting that seed early. <laughs> Funny enough, my dad always wanted me to be a lawyer as well. And I'm mm. convinced that the only reason I didn't become a lawyer is because he wanted me to be one. Oh. <laughs> it's my form of rebellion. I'm like, just because you want me to do it, I'm not going to do it. Exactly. Do <laughs> but I'm happy with what, what I ended up in, which is journalism. So you started out doing accounting here in Jamaica. You've worked, like you said, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, bookkeeping and all that. 
at what point did you decide that you wanted to migrate? So I was actually um, sent to the Jamaican consulate in New York to work by the Jamaican Foreign Service, right? By the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And, you know, was in North America for a little bit, but my mom is actually, was actually living in the States at the time. And she filed a petition for us. So while I was working with the ministry, um, she was filing the petition and it just kind of worked out that, you know, after 11 years um, of working with the foreign ministry, I, I resigned and moved to the States uh, because she filed for us. So that was, I went to work at the consulate in 97. Um, so that was like 27 years ago that I left Jamaica. So I'm not trying to age you or anything, but you would have been like in your 20s at the time? Yes, I was really young. I was 22. When it, so now you definitely age me. <laughs> yeah, everybody can do the maths if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally fine. Age is the, old is the goal, they say. But what was that transition like? So starting coming, growing up in Jamaica, a whole Wilma's experience, Ajikwad, Aji, that's how you say it? And Ajikwad, then now going to... Don't mess it up, Kalila. Sorry, all right, you, you say it. Uh, yes, <laughs> throw me up. Nicole is my friend, guys. You probably can tell, by the way, the amount of laughing we're doing. But anyway, yeah, what was that transition like now moving to what city in the States was it? New York City. To New right? York, Imagine. the Big Apple, the big city. What yes. was that like now having to work there? So imagine, you know, this country girl coming from St. Elizabeth, at least that, you know, I lived in Kingston and worked in Kingston initially, but New York City is a whole different animal. Um, I have to tell you, I did not love the city. Um, I was there because I worked there, but it was a, it was a big transition. Taking the subway, um, the smells were different. I actually used to, in Jamaica, I used to live close to foreign affairs. So I used to walk to work or just take a, you know, take a, a bus. It was like 10 minutes. Being on the train for over an hour, it was not an easy transition. But the good thing was that I was working with Jamaicans. So you kind, I kind of still felt at home because mm -hmm. it was an office with, you know, all Jamaicans worked there or mostly Jamaicans worked there. And so the transition was not hard at all. I was still doing work that I loved. I was still doing work that I knew how to do, right? So I became the accounting supervisor there um, in 97, yeah. So that was kind of, um, it wasn't a hard transition, but in terms of the place, it was a little bit different for sure. It's <laughs> a lot different because yeah. I was in New York shortly after that then, trust me, I'm used to telling people morning and afternoon every time you see somebody and over there, they're looking at you like, what, what? are you doing? <laughs> Why are you talking to me? All right, so what was next after ministry, after um, that stint with the Jamaican yeah. embassy, what was next? So was transferred from that um, consulate in New York up to the High Commission in Ottawa, in Canada. Let me tell you something. I was transferred in January of, I think, 2001, yes. Kalila, you ever feel cool yet? <laughs> it was freezing. So good thing is I was used to New York and kind of used to the, the snow and the cold. But yeah. let me tell you, Ottawa, Ottawa is another level. different. Mm -mm, it's a different kind of cold. So I went to work with the, at the High Commission up there in um, Canada, and that was an experience. I, I actually liked it because Ottawa is a really nice city when it's warm, right? So during spring and summer, it was really good. 
but um, again, work, went there to work as the account the accounting supervisor um, at the High Commission. It was a smaller office. It's it's the capital of, of Canada, but it really does not feel or look like a capital. It's not very busy. It kind of felt a little country to me. I don't know how it feels now because <laughs> it's been over 20 years. But um, but it was really nice, really tight knit Jamaican community. Again, working with Jamaicans. I think for me, it was just great because even though I was in a foreign country when I went to New York and when I went to, to Ottawa, I was still working with people that I knew. I had either spoken to them on the phone or I'd known them before. So it did not, it felt familiar, right? To be working among Jamaicans. So it kind of, I still felt like I was kind of in Jamaica, even though I was not. And the Jamaican communities, if you all know anything about these communities, they're amazing, they're vibrant. So we always having events and stuff. So I didn't feel, I really did not miss home that much. Steve says Ottawa still feels that way. I'm sure. <laughs> it's small and country. But yeah. was there any point where, you know, you had to get out of your comfort zone? Um, many times. So this was, um, when you're working in, working in a mission, we call it a mission, embassy consulate, you kind of have to kind of be, you know, open to a lot of different things, including representing your country, right? So there might be events that even though I was the accountant and my job was like a support role, um, sometimes you had to, you know, go represent your country because the consul general or the high commissioner will say, oh, Nicole can, you know, visit this, this event because, you know, everybody else is busy or whatever is going on. So I'm like, I'm an accountant. I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not, no forward facing person go shake anybody's hand and whatever. But because um, I went to good school and I have good training, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it was really it, it we, I had to kind of do some represent, representing. And I think I did a pretty good job. So um, my colleagues can tell me my former colleagues can can let me know. But um, yeah, sometimes you had to kind of um, get out of that comfort zone. The other thing, too, is that the accountant in the in the missions, uh, I am not sure if it's like this anymore, but you kind of have to be responsible for like the residence of the ambassador. So sometimes you're picking out drapes and you're picking out furniture and you're, cause you, you, you do the budget too. So you have wow. to make sure that they're not overspending. So ah. yeah, you kind of get to be really get forming like a nice relationship with the ambassadors, their families and stuff. And you know, you're the one who is responsible for taking the inventory of the furniture in the, in the residence. So that's kind of as well, not accounting related, but more like, um, you know, an extension of your job because you have to make sure that they, you're not, they're not buying expensive furniture and stuff like that. I was so, wondering how all of that dropped into accounting, but okay, you explained yes. it well. So <laughs> at what point now did you say accounting is awesome, bookkeeping is great, but I want to take it a step further. I want to start my own business. Yeah, there's a windy road to that you know, starting my own business and where I am now. So um, I think I was born with the entrepreneur blood, right? My grandparents um, still living in St. Elizabeth right now. They owned a shop, right? For many, many years. And my grandfather is always a businessman, right? So I've always been bitten by this entrepreneurial bug, wanting to do my own thing. I saw how, you know, they managed their own money. They had the freedom. They didn't get, you know, wait for a paycheck and all of that. And I'm like, you know what? This paycheck was really nice. You know, I left the foreign service. I worked in corporate America. Pretty good deal, right? Um, but I've always done something on the side. 
some kind of side hustle. Um, and then, I, so I started, you know, dabbling in online marketing, dabbling in some online businesses, but then, you know, got to the point where one of my businesses, businesses was doing really well and I wasn't managing the finances. Mm. Now, y'all do not judge me. <laughs> you ever hear of the, the shoemaker that his kids have no shoe or he has no shoes? Or, you know, so I wasn't, I was paying attention to my, or I paid attention to my employer's finances, wasn't paying attention to mine, right? Mm -hmm. So got myself in some issues where I really had to dig myself out. And I started to use the same accounting that I learned in my, my, um, my work, career. right? Mm -hmm. In my career to, you know, transfer that over to doing it for myself. And then, you know what? One day I was like, you know what? there has to be a lot more people like this, not managing the finances, don't really know what's happening with it, just kind of, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and yep. just, you know, going on, right? I've been there, trust me, I've been there. Even though I talk about money all the time and finance all the time, when you get really bogged down in the business, yes, it's dealing with the finance is like an afterthought. So I ended up in falling behind on taxes and all of that. Everything you're seeing, I'm relating to that right now. Exactly, right? Same here. So I was like, you know, there has to be people who need this help. And so I wanted to do that. I wanted to use my accounting skills to help other people who were struggling, not being on top of the finances. But what I also realized was that it's, it's just because they didn't have anything simple and they didn't have any support. So, you know, as I said, I worked in corporate, I learned some things about creating systems, right? And then I started to kind of build my own little tools at home, um, you know, getting them organized so it's automated because nobody wants to sit down and like enter, you know, every single day, enter, you know, income, expenses, like nobody wants to do that manually, right? So what I did, I created a semi-automated system and I was using it for myself. And I literally was in my finances every single day for five minutes. Now I do it weekly, busy with the business and, and all kinds of other things. But I used to be there every day and it used to take me less than five minutes. Because think about it, how often do you spend money whether personal life or in your business? Unless okay. you have like a product-based um, organization or business where you are always having a lot of you know transactions. Usually Kalila, you know, service-based entrepreneurs like us we don't have a lot of expenses or a lot of transactions. So it's easy to just like, you know, plug in five minutes, plug in all your transactions, see where you're at. And so that's how five minute bookkeeper was born, born. I literally said other people have to want something like this. And let me tell you something. I didn't know how much they needed it <laughs> because I just wanted to start this little side business and maybe turn it into a full-time business, just replace my income at my job. But it took off so much and has grown exponentially over the last three years. That's amazing. Three years. So that's when you, you launched this? 2020? 2020. In the middle of the pandemic. In the July, middle of COVID. Yep. July 2020, I was, I launched Five Minute Bookkeeper at home, homeschooling, home working because it was on the side at the time um, and literally did everything online uh, and launched it. So what was that like? Was it a side effect of the pandemic why you decided this is my opportunity or were you just fed up with your corporate job and just wanted to do something different? You know what? It was a little bit of both. I actually started my business before the pandemic. So 
I started to, you know, help entrepreneurs, had a couple clients, was doing it on the side. When the pandemic hit, it was more like, okay, I have the time now. I used to drive three hours round trip to Miami every day to work because by this time we were living in Florida, right? And I'm like, well, there's no commute anymore, right? And so I had more time to, you know, kind of, you know, take a look and see what's out there. And, you know, I was having a challenge because people don't want you up in their finances. Just let's just be real, right? It's like opening your closet and letting people in and showing them your secrets. So I was like, how can I create this thing? Because I know how simple it is and how effective it is. How can I create something that will actually, you know, they can take it and do it themselves? So that's kind of where I was at right before the pandemic. And then in the middle of it, I got more time to do some research and kind of, um, you know, build out the, the, the idea. And I'm like, let me just use the same tools that I'm using with my clients and myself. Let me just package it in a way that, you know, other people can use it themselves, DIY it. Um, and it's amazing because if I was doing it like client by client, I would not have grown as much as I have in the past few years. So um, finding a way to package that and um, sell it as a DIY product is um, is how that is, you know, that happened during the pandemic. That's amazing. So you've had quite a journey and you mentioned earlier that you dabbled in some marketing. You're an amazing marketer, Nicole. <laughs> I see you, you show up every single day on social media, posting your videos, telling your stories. Yeah. Is, what come, does that come naturally to you? After a few years, it does. I started this and I know a lot of people know me from Five Minute Bookkeeper. So they think I just, you know, woke up and became Five Minute Bookkeeper. But I literally learned how to blog. Um, since 2009, I've been marketing. I started out in network marketing. When you're a network marketer, you are not afraid of anything. You talk to anybody, you pitch people on the street, you, you, you get their numbers, you invite them to meetings. So this is like to write a couple posts a day, Kalila, this is like child's play, <laughs> right? So been marketing for a long time, got online, was blogging, was doing um, long form, uh, Facebook ads. So I used to do a lot of Facebook ads back in the day uh, when it was easier. <laughs> um, I used to uh, do copywriting. So all of those skills um, over the years, I kind of just honed and just focused on five minute bookkeeper. So it's it seems like I'm always, you know, churning out content, but it's literally the same content that I kind of repurpose all the time, saying the exact same thing for the past three years, just talking about the exact same thing, but in a different way mm -hmm. and um so that's how i learned to to market and to write copy yeah you always tell the most these really relatable stories that yeah. just hook people and keep you wanting to read and then at the end you connect it to five minute bookkeepers of all <laughs> like i didn't see that coming but i should have because it's a post from nicole yes <laughs> what would you say is the hardest part of running a business because i always tell people that creating the product to me is the easy part yeah. Selling the product now, selling the thing and getting people to buy whatever it is, that yeah. to me is the, the more difficult part. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, the thing is, we think that our product is amazing. And of course mm -hmm. it is. We created it. It's amazing. Everybody needs it, right? But unfortunately, not everyone sees it like that. Not everybody is on your is on your timeline. <laughs> not every and you know sometimes I'm like five minute bookkeeper. You need it for your taxes. Tax time is coming. Of course, people would buy it, 
but you would be surprised to see how you know a lot of people they procrastinate they delay um your marketing might not be landing even though you think that you're doing this amazing campaign and you're everywhere and you're being visible all over the place it's just that um the marketing part of it and the getting the sales it's going to be like there's no product or service that sells itself you, you know what i mean mm -hmm. so you literally have to do all that legwork and um that has been the hardest because you have to get out there every single day whether you have it automated running ads whatever it is you have to kind of keep in front of your ideal client space every day because as because there's so much distraction online people don't really remember you know they sometimes they forget that they need your product or whatever it is they're not really paying that much attention so um being in being able to stay in front of your audience is i think one of the hardest things um and it's not you know it's not build it they will come that doesn't work um you literally have to go out every single day and sell even if you think that you have the best things in sliced bread um, sometimes, you know, you still have to continue to sell like it's not the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's one of the most challenging parts of um, entrepreneurship. Yeah, it's also, build, it, build it, they will come, but you also have to tell people that you built it. Like, yes. Hey guys, I built this thing. Come. <laughs> Take a look. Here. Take a look. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is amazing. You've been doing so well over the past just three years. I can't believe it's only been three years yes and now you are at a point where you've been invited on the breakfast club with charlemagne and them you've been on good morning america you're a star so how did all of that happen i'm a star you're funny so um i was i've been in um rachel rogers's community and you've been in the, the same community kalila and um i actually thought of five minute bookkeeper in that program right and so um, Rachel wanted to um, invite me. She was going to be on the Good Morning America. She wanted to showcase her success stories in her program um, in We Should All Be Millionaires. So she invited me to um, come on to Good Morning America, where I was featured. And then she also invited me on the Breakfast Club. Um, so it was you know, just being in that community, building this business, being a success story, um she kind of invited me to to tell my story on these two platforms um i've also been in time magazine well time.com um essence black enterprise so i i mean it's just because you know i think it's a very unlikely business that i have um a, an unlikely product that i created and so um people are really you know interested in that and want to know more and very intrigued by it so I've been in in, the, in all this media because people are like, you know, how did you do this with bookkeeping? Because, you know, it, we, we, we're kind of, you know, not sure how, how you did this, basically. Yeah. You know, interestingly <laughs> enough, I saw the GMA interview because I follow Rachel's. So I saw her posted and I saw you on there. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had no idea you were a Jamaican until we met at ROI. And I'm like, wait, hold on there. Oh, really? Not even yeah. pick up a little accent in the GMA thing? I, I I guess I just wasn't paying attention. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> I did not know. And it's nice when you see people succeeding and then you realize, oh, wait, there is a connection. And if she can do it, we can do it too. We have yeah. a question from the audience. Michelle wants to know, she says, Lady Nicole, how do you balance entrepreneurship and self-care? Oh, okay. 
let me tell you how I do that. I have some non-negotiables. So I have every two weeks, I have to get my mani-pedi. And by the way, Gen Care is in my in in Florida. So oh. I found Gen Care. So I, it's like I'm going to Jamaica to do my nails, right? <laughs> so I do my facial, my manicure, my pedicure. And so, and I know self-care is not just that. It's about, you know, I have a family. I have an 11, 11 year old son, Brandon, who is autistic, right? So, you know, that has its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've set my business up where it's a digital product. Let me tell you, let me give you some, some free game, right? Whenever you're running a business, make sure that at some point you are making money where you're not connected to every single dollar that you make, right? Because if that's it, you're gonna be burnt out. You have to be servicing clients. If you don't work directly with somebody, you don't make no money, right? So um, I made sure that I created a, a digital product that would be selling even if I'm not around. And I, I gave this um, infamous story about, I was visiting my grandparents in Jamaica a, a year ago, and we were at a little shop. We left Zhongshan, we were at a little shop. My uncle was getting drinks and my phone pinged because I have T-Mobile and I still got text. Made a $2,000 sale while in the country, on vacation, hanging out with my family, right? Nice, and that's US dollars. US dollars, 2,000 US dollars. So saying this to say that, make sure that you you build in and I, I mean i think that every business almost every business can have this passive income this piece that they can create and sell without connected every single dollar that you make right that's number one so my self-care is really great because i don't spend a lot of time working i have a four to five hour work day i work out in the mornings i go for a walk religiously in the mornings i have a peloton i get on it for a few minutes have to get that sweat going, have to get those endorphins going to start my day. And I do that almost every single day. So I'm saying that taking care of yourself, your temple is most important in order to, to sustain yourself, to sustain your business. So if you neglect yourself at some point, you're going to burn out and the business will just, you know, not be successful. So um, self-care is very important to me. Love that question, Michelle. Um, and I do it every day. And of course, my facials, money, petty, non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah, Steve says passive income is a must and humble boss says smart lady, smart woman. Corey wants to know how important was network marketing in your success story and where you are now? Let me tell you something, Corey. A lot of people, you know, put down network marketing and, um, you know, they say it's a scam, it's a pyramid scheme, whatever. And I'm not saying that they're all, you know, you have a few rotten apples like almost everything else right but the company that i was with the company is still around today it used to be tahitian noni international and i know noni fruit is in jamaica people make it it tastes bad <laughs> but people make and it's medicinal right so i used to be with tni and the the personal development let me tell you something if you as an entrepreneur if your personal development not stand up <laughs> if you're not really strong internally and believe your belief level, your faith in yourself, your faith in your, in your business and really believing in what you're doing, you will not succeed. So my personal development journey started, I think one of my first books was Think and Grow Rich. And then, you know, a few other millionaire next door, you know, the usual ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And so that's when I really started to get into um, personal development and that personal development kind of led me to, you know, be able to believe in myself and believe in what I was, the products I was selling. So now that I created my own business, I believe in it a million percent, right? Even if I'm not making any sales, even if things are slow, you know, whatever is going on around me, that does not change how, what I believe about my business and my products, um, what I believe about how they can change, they can change people's lives, right? So, you know, network marketing, I'm t I tell every single person that if I did not start out in network marketing and gain the skills that I have today, I probably would not, would not own my own business. Mm. So Corey, Corey says, uh, yes, that's the personal development, exactly what I was expecting to hear. I have the same experience. I'm guessing Corey also does or did some form of network marketing. For yeah. me, it was learning about sales, but I heard it from, for me, it was from Myron Golden. When Myron said, you have to believe in what you're selling and not just believe in it, but believe that the person you're selling it to would be worse off without what you're selling. Yes. And that's what makes me, what I, when people say, or people don't say it, I say sometimes, shameless plug and so on, and I'm doing mm -hmm. the whole antics on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> it's because I truly believe that people need my service. Yes. People need to be in the money mission. It's not just because I'm trying to sell you something that you don't need or yeah. don't want, but I truly honestly believe that you need it. And when you realize that, that switch goes off in, off in your head, and you're never embarrassed to sell again. Absolutely. I, I'm the exact same way. And Myron, by the way, I think he started out in network marketing as well. So it's the same mindset, right? It's the kind of mindset that you are like, this is going to work. This has to work. I believe in it. Um, and I believe that my people, you know, if I don't, if I don't continue to market, if I don't continue to sell, then people are going to be worse off if they, they, they don't know about me. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, guys, that is a, listen, that was key for me in doing what I do. And a lot of people have that problem that you're scared to sell because you're scared of being rejected and you're scared that people say, oh, why are you talking about this again? And you're in people's face with your product. Don't be scared. Don't be embarrassed to sell your item. If you truly believe in your item, then you also believe that people need whatever it is you're selling, you will never be embarrassed again. So Nicole, does your five minute bookkeeper, does your product work here in Jamaica? It absolutely does. It is worldwide. I talk about the US tax deadline and all of that because that's where I live and that's my main market. But I have clients in Norway, Portugal, um, Switzerland. <laughs> so as long as you want to know how much money is coming into my business? How much is going out? You know, what's my income? What are my expenses? And the categories are usually are, are universal, right? You have, uh, you might have advertising as one of your your expenses. You might have office expenses. You might have materials and supplies. Um, it's the same. It's literally the same um, categories. And the good thing about Five Minute Bookkeeper is that it's customizable. So we have some, you know, and you can go to the website and and watch the demo video, right? We have some categories and if you're like, oh, I, I have a category that I really want to track, but it's not here. There's an easy way for us to show you and we show you in our system how to customize your own category. So if you want to know what's coming in, what's going out, then 5-Minute Bookkeeper would definitely work for you.
How is it different from accounting software like QuickBooks, which is one of the popular ones? Oh my goodness. Well, QuickBooks, um, in my opinion, <laughs> let me not say, you know, um, in my opinion, it was created for accounting professionals, right? And a lot of my clients will complain. And even if you go to my website, you see them say, I tried to use QuickBooks. I got overwhelmed. I ditched it. And then I moved over to five minute bookkeeper because QuickBooks is made for accounting professionals, right? Five minute bookkeeper is made for entrepreneurs who are doing DIYing their own finances. There's no accounting professional that uses five minute bookkeeper because it was not created for them. Right. And you don't want to spend hours and hours trying to learn a platform. First of all, you don't even want to do the finances. You don't want to do the bookkeeping. So you want to spend as little time as possible on it. Right. So that's why I created five minutes, five minutes a day, right? Five minute bookkeeper, because what I wanted to do was give you something really simple, really easy. And unfortunately, um, some of the other bookkeeping platforms are not simple to learn and people just get overwhelmed and just abandon it. Mm, great answer. So I love that because we've all been there as well. Is it for individuals or specifically for business owners? Or can I apply five minute bookkeeper to my personal finances? Right now we have only, we focus only on businesses. Um, the market was really, especially at tax time, a lot of our clients were really wanting, you know, something to do their bookkeeping, something easy. Um, so we just did for, you know, for businesses. We have a few other little products that we are testing out. We have five minute personal tracker that we sometimes, you know, if our clients say, I love five minute bookkeeper, can I get something for my personal finances? Then we sell it to them. But our main product um, is five minute bookkeeper and we don't sell our other products like individually right now. Ooh. So this is perfect for like solopreneurs. Yes, for sure. Solo entrepreneurs, you don't have a like a complex bookkeeping system or accounting system. Um, you just want to know what's coming in, what's going out. You might be somebody who's you're alone in the business. You might just have like a couple people working with you, like contractors and stuff like that. Um, and you just want to keep every, keep things tight. You don't have the money right now to pay somebody else to do this kind of work. So it's perfect for solo entrepreneurs who are doing everything. They're doing all the things themselves and just want something simple and easy so they can like plug the numbers in and see what, what's going on with their business finances. Awesome. We need to get you inside the Money Mission community to talk to our entrepreneurs and for make sure. a presentation to them. So before we go, Nicole, what's next for you and the business? The sky's the limit, as they say, Kalila. Um, I am, you know, wanting to take Five Minute Bookkeeper to a million dollar a year company. Um, and so we're working on that. We're working on being more visible. We're working on getting the word out. And I, as I mentioned earlier, you could have the best kept secret, but if nobody knows about it, if nobody knows about it, right? Best things since sliced bread, nobody knows about it. You just not make any money. And so um, our goal is to really get the word out. The tax extension season is coming up in the US. And so um, we'll, we're gonna be doing a lot of marketing. We're gonna be running ad campaigns even more than we have before. And so those are going to be happening um, soon so that we can, you know, help a lot more people and make a lot more money. By the way, is it you alone running this business? Because I heard you mention we, so. No, not me alone. <laughs> no, I have help. <laughs> I have my assistant. I have, um, you know, bookkeeping, um, technical people on the, back, on the back end who are helping me with done for you bookkeeping. 
So we might have clients who are like, okay, five minutes a day sounds amazing, but I'm backed up a year, six months, two years, five years, you know, whatever it is. So we how big done, is the team now? We have, um, it's four of us. So um, mostly technical people because we do a lot of done for you for clients. And then I'm, I'm kind of doing the marketing right now. Um, need to hire somebody to do that. <laughs> but in the meantime, doing the marketing, we have a team of four. We keep it really tight. And we make sure that we are, um, you know, just being on top of the, the bookkeeping and doing the done for you services for doing it. all these amazing things with a team of four. So guys, you don't yeah. need a whole big setup. You don't need all the fandangles and everything. You nope. you work from home. Yes, started from work from home. Four <laughs> people, six figure business, moving towards a million dollar business. Multiple six figure, madam. Mo Excuse me, <laughs> multiple six figure business with four people working from home. It is achievable. Nicole yes. came from Jamaica, country girl from St. Elizabeth. She moved abroad, but you don't have to. You can find your opportunities here. She found her opportunities right online. So thank yes. you so much for joining me and sharing your story, Nicole. Thank you for having me, Kalila. This was amazing. And let people know how they can find you. Absolutely. So I'm on um, IG, on Instagram at five minute bookkeeper the number five minute bookkeeper i'm also um, my website five minute bookkeeper.com and then you can follow me on uh, facebook facebook.com forward slash n a barham that's my private profile but you can follow me over there who am i says turbo tax i go buy out nicole's business payday <laughs> cha-ching <laughs> love it <laughs> ah okay and michelle sending having the final word saying we're proud of you demonstrating that it is possible so thank you once again for joining us nicole and all the best on your journey thank you so much Kalika. let us know when you hit the seven figures i sure will <laughs> hmm. so guys before we jump into the next segment of tonight's show how many of you were at last night's build your budget workshop it was the first of our sessions we're going to be doing quarterly budgeting sessions and this one in particular, I gave you guys a lot of homework because budgeting gets such a bad rap, but it's one of the most important skills that you need as an adult. And let me tell you, people don't like to budget because they feel like that word is just a negative word and you, mm, it's so restrictive. I can't do what I want. The budget is all about telling me what I can't spend on. And people just never stick to their budget to begin with. But budgeting, in my opinion, is not like that at all. Budgets are supposed to be flexible. They are a plan for your money. You have to tell your money where you want it to go. Otherwise, it's just going to go wherever it wants to go by itself. Budget, it, your money is like a picnic now. If you don't tell your kids what to do, they're just going to wreak havoc and do their own thing. So you have to tell your money what to do. You have to tell your money where exactly you want it to go. So last night during Build Your Budget Workshop, we talked about some rules for our spending. We set our rules. We said, what are the things that are going to govern how we spend? We set our goals. What are the things that we want to achieve financially for the rest of this year? So it required some deep thinking. You had to bring your pen and your paper. And also we spoke about how are we going to get there. So we brainstormed some ideas to make our income goals achievable because many times you make that budget, right? And you put all the categories, how much money you need, 
and you realize you're short. You don't have enough money to make the ends meet. You are in a deficit. And budgeting is not only about figuring out your expenses, budgeting is also about figuring out your income because you are not limited to the salary that you earn for your income. For a long time, I thought that all the money I would ever make in a month is the money that my employer pays me until I realized that there are so many other ways to make money outside of that. And so for a long time, I thought, I don't, the only other way I can make money is by getting a second job. So I have my full-time, I have my part-time. I didn't realize there, were, there is a universe of ways to generate income. So we spoke about that. We had some of our members last night in the community um, giving specific their specific situation, and we brainstormed ways for them to make that income happen. So guys, as of now, Build Your Budget is available for both premium and basic members. And that was a last minute thing because it is a premium course. Like I said, we're going to be doing it at least four times a year. But at last minute, I say, you know, what? I'm going to open it up to basic members of the community as well, because I truly feel that you guys need this help. You need this guidance. Right now, the replay is available in the community. So go to your profile, just log into your account. If you are a basic or a premium member, click on Money Mission Masterclass Series, and you're going to see Build Your Budget right there. And you can watch the replay from last night. Take your notes, set your goals, set your rules, come up with your ideas, and then download the Build Your Budget template. And of course, the Home Budget app as well, and get your budget done for the rest of the year. So we have four more weeks left in, we have four more weeks left, so you still have time to sign up. Four weeks left for what? <laughs> four, four weeks until, oh, okay, until we launch. It's, no, it's not, it's more than four weeks because we have moved the in-person launch to September. So it's gonna be, it's late September, so it's closer to eight weeks. You still have time to sign up as a foundation member. And you guys right now are in the, the guinea pig phase of the community. You're the test groups. You are my day ones, and I appreciate you for that, which is why I'm doing things like opening up Build Your Budget to basic members and figuring out what you want inside the community. So join up for the foundation membership at the foundation price. I will never change that price on you forever and ever and ever, no matter how much inflation lick, you will still pay the same price. Premium members get three months free, to join the Money Mission community, just click the link in my bio. It should be pinned at the top of the comment section as well. So you go to moneymission.mn.co. And I'll see you there next week. Monday, we are hosting Ask Mike. And I still you still have time as well to apply for the mentorship with the Ask Mike program. We are reserving half of those slots for members of the Money Mission community. All right, it's now time for a hurricane tip from our sponsor, CG United. Hurricane tips are brought. Hurricane tips are brought to you by CG. Okay, we're having some trouble with that intro, but yes, we are still on the topic of deductibles. Like we talked about last week, your deductible is a set amount that you'll have to pay before your insurance policy starts paying for damages. 
Now, because we live in a high-risk region like the Caribbean that's prone to disasters such as hurricanes, your deductible tends to be higher than normal. Our deductible tends to be higher than normal. And that's just so that insurance companies can offer property insurance coverage at a reasonable rate based on what the reinsurance companies require. Remember, we spoke about reinsurance companies, I think, last week on my page. We're talking all about those issues. If your property is insured at $400,000, for example, in the event of a hurricane and your home is destroyed, your deductible would be 2% of your sum insured. So 2% of 400,000 is $800,000. So that's the amount you have to pay before the insurance will kick in with whatever payment they are going to give you. So make sure that you know your deductible. And that was your hurricane insurance tip brought to you by CG United. Hurricane tips were brought to you by CG United. It's good like that. And it's now time for tonight's poll question. Will you sign up or have you signed up for Instagram's new app, Threads? Here are your options. I already signed up. B, can't bother with a new app. C, I prefer Twitter. D, still deciding or other, leave a comment. Let us know what you think about Instagram's new app, Threads. It's the hottest thing in social media right now. And while you're at it, hit the like button. Up next, we've got your market recap and the analysts are standing by. This segment of Taking Stock was brought to you by Bulwark Insurance Agency, insurance made easy. Hey, moneymakers, join the KRM fam with our official merch. Get it now at KhalilaReynolds.com. Let's get this money. The JC Combined Index lost almost 5,000 points or 1% last week. 120 stocks traded across the main and junior markets for the week ending Friday, July 7, 2023. 39 made gains, 71 lost value, and 10 stayed the same. 171 million shares changed hands on the Jamaican dollar market, valued at $1 billion. JMMB 7.25% VRJMDCR preference shares was the week's most traded stock. It took up 29% of market volume, with 50 million shares trading. The stock lost 4 cents to open Monday at $1.90. Trans-Jamaican Highway traded the second highest. The stock gained 3 cents to open this week at $2.49. And the newly acquired Sibini Group rounded out last week's most traded, with 14 million shares changing hands. The stock gained 54 cents to open Monday at $1.41. The stock was also last week's biggest gain, up 62%. Now let's see who had the biggest gains for the week. 138 Student Living Variable Preference was the week's second biggest gainer after Sibony. It was up 27% to open Monday at $104.99. And MPC Caribbean Clean Energy was up almost 27% to open the week at $77.32. On the losing side now, First Rock Real Estate Investments USD was last week's biggest loser down 27%. The stock opened Monday at $0.04 cents US. JPS 7% fell 26% to open the new week at $50. And Medical Disposables and Supplies was down 19%, closing the week at $4.74. 
Over on the Trinidad and Tobago Stock Exchange, the composite index was up 1.5% last week. National Enterprises was the most traded stock. The stock gained 29 cents to open this week at $3.85 TT. NCB Financial Group was the market's biggest gain up almost 15% to open this week at $3.10 TT. And on the losing side, Guardian Media fell 4% to open Monday at $2.20 TT. Over in the U.S., the Dow Jones lost 1.5% last week, while the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq fell half a percent. At the pumps, motorists saw a slight increase in gas prices last week up $0.06, while diesel prices, on the other hand, fell $3.06. In foreign exchange, it took an average $155.46 Jamaican to purchase one U.S. dollar last Friday. That's $0.84 more than a week before. Meanwhile, it took an average $116.76 Jamaican to purchase one Canadian dollar. One British pound cost, on average, $199.67 Jamaican. And you could buy one euro for $172.18 Jamaican, on average. Finally, on the crypto markets, Bitcoin prices fell almost 1% over the past five days, trading at $30,288 US on Monday, while Ethereum dropped 2%, trading at $1,869 US on Monday. Disclaimer This is not intended as financial advice. Please consult a licensed financial advisor before making investment decisions. Welcome back. Welcome back. Before I introduce our analyst panel, let's take some of your questions. Strong Link says, is she ready for Shark Tank? Nicole, you hear what they're telling you? Mm, maybe you should apply. Elaine says, I'm already living on bread and butter. No budget for me. <laughs> That's exactly why you need build your budget, Elaine, because we got to figure out how to increase the income. Who am I? It says money is like your picnic. I love that terminology and I love that you love it. Roswell says budgeting is good. Big companies do that for their business. Yes, indeed. Countries do it as well. And notice that Jamaica, when Jamaica tables the budget, government table the budget, they always have supplementary estimates later on in the year. And that's because budget has to be flexible. Things change. Stuff happens. You know, so you have to change with the times. Uh, let me see who else we have here. Who am I? Said Dead with Laugh. Nicole, I love five-minute bookkeeping. Awesome idea and business. And Strong Link says, always link your budget with a cash flow statement and schedule. Time now for the analysts. And guess who's back? Back again. Shady's back. Tell a friend. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? And Anna Julian is back with us this week. A familiar face, Julian Morrison, founder of Wealth Watch JA, in his personal capacity this evening. And of course, business writer at the Jamaica Observer, David Rose. Welcome, guys. Hey, Kalila. That song was one of my favorites, you know, from that era. Oh, yes. Yeah. Shady. All right, cool. Well, it's really yeah. good to have you back on. People have been asking about you. People are like, what happened to Julian? I used to like when Julian came on. So we had to extend the invitation and have you back. It's great to see you here. Yeah, man. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And we're actually starting with you this evening. We have two companies that have their audited financials out, Image Plus Consultants and Jamaica Broilers. But let's start with Image Plus Consultants. So they're brand new. They did their IPO last year, I think it was. December I think they might have been... IPO 
listed. Yeah, they were the last IPO since um we haven't had any IPO since Image Plus. So they're the most recent one to come out. And this is our this would be their audited financials for the year ending February 2023. So included in the IPO period a couple months after that. So how did they do, Julian? Okay, so let's get to it. So Image Plus, um, they trade as Apex and they have a similar business as Elite Diagnostics. So essentially, overall, they offer diagnostic imaging services. But as we know, imaging services have a very wide span because we need imaging services for a wide range of requests in terms of um, healthcare services. So accidents, um, pregnancies, you name it. So let's go into the financials and how the company performed for their financial year ended 2023. So in terms of their revenue growth, they're up 40.7% and they closed at roughly 1.1 billion in revenue in that's Jamaican dollars. And just for some perspective, they've seen their revenues grow at a 29% compounded annual growth rate since 2019. In terms of their net profit, they're up 150%, um, closing at 236 million. And they have compounded their net profit in terms of growth since 2019 at 74%, which is significant. And in terms of their net profit margins year over year, for the last year, which would have been their full year 2022, they closed at 12.13% in terms of the net profit margin, while for 2023, their net profit margin stood at 21.6%. So we're seeing where margins have improved. And in terms of the trend, both revenues and profitability have grown significantly. And given that net profit has compounded faster than revenues, it means that the business has gotten more and more cost efficient over time. That's something that we like to see in businesses. So in terms of the price, which is what many investors are interested in. So today it closed at $2.29. And that means that it would be up 14.5% um, from that level, i.e. from IPO, sorry, from IPO price, which would have been $2 listed at $2, which was very um, controversial. Um, it traded at a 52-week low of $1.72. And today's price would be a 33.1% increase from that low. And in terms of where it's trading from a PE standpoint, as price to earnings, it's trading at um, 12 times, 12.05 times, and the junior market average is 17.7 times. So even though the price has started to move, it's still cheaper than the average junior market stock from a PE multiple standpoint. The dividend yield is 2.62% using today's price of $2.29. And the return on equity is 39.3%. So it's not only cheaper than the average junior market stock, it actually has a higher return on equity um, than the average junior market stock. So there's an opportunity there. Um, so just to look forward in terms of the business's future. So the business has grown revenues five out of the last five financial years. It has grown net profit after tax, four out of the last five financial years. It has increased scans, four out of the last five financial years. It only saw a dip in 2021 because of the challenges around curfews in 2021. So they wouldn't have seen the same patient flow in that specific year. 
But the flip side is that they grew revenues per scan five out of the last five financial years. So even though they saw less patients in 2021, they managed to increase their, their revenues per scan in that year, meaning that the business is starting to generate greater value for its services each financial year on a, concert, on a consistent basis. So we're seeing population aging in Jamaica increase. Um, the head of PIOJ spoke about that. So the number of persons aged 65 and over is expected to double by 2050. And according wow. to Julia Rowe Porter, um, who is our head epidemiologist in Jamaica, 54% of Jamaicans are overweight. So we expect demand for these services to increase um, based on the data that we've seen. And of course, we're seeing leadership internally in terms of the business. You know, I saw, uh, I saw a report today that says that 80 is the new old age. Old age now starts at 80. People are definitely living longer and, you know, being in the health industry, in the medical industry is one of those that we're all going to need. But going back to something else you said earlier, Julian, you mentioned that the IPO price, the $2, was controversial. Why was that controversial? Well, recently, recently being in the last year or two, we've seen a lot of listings come out at a dollar. But Image Plus broke that trend and came out at $2. And just from a nominal perspective, many investors would say, well, if the last four or five companies came out at a dollar, then why should I pay twice that amount for a new listing? What's so special about this company? But what we have to remember is that what we're paying for is a piece of a business. Um, companies are not priced arbitrarily. So a company can be valued against how much profit it generates per share or what its accounting value is per share. So that's a book value per share. And that is why we do valuation as as investors who want to know how much you're paying on a per share basis because all shares are not created equal in terms of value so is it valuable in terms of profit or is it valuable in terms of the book value of the business which is the accounting value or the net worth assets minus liabilities i did hear people with that concern and saying you know, everything has been a dollar but i've also wondered what was the justification for all of these other IPOs coming out at a dollar? Sometimes it seemed like they were just picking a dollar out of thin air because it's a popular number. Well, sometimes, sometimes investment bankers have to gauge market conditions. And it might be a case where they have assessed those market conditions, given that interest rates have gone up significantly over the last 12 to 18 months. The appetite for equities, especially from institutional investors, wouldn't be the same compared to in 2019, for argument's sake, or 2018. So given that the appetite for equity um, has reduced on a relative basis, then the approach to pricing securities might have changed to increase the appeal. So if it is that institutions might not come in at level C in three, four, five years ago, then how can I entice investors who are not institutional investors and how can i get those investors to stretch their dollars further so i think that's a part of the psychology and of course a dollar is something easy to digest i mean to hear that something is a dollar you know it sounds cheap so i know that had a lot to do with what went into to, to some of the offers but again 
the nominal price is just a part of the story because you can have a stock at a dollar that is expensive because its earnings don't match up on a per share basis. And then you can have another stock that's a dollar that's cheap because in terms of how much profit it generates per share, it's much more. So there's a difference between the price of a stock and the value of a stock. Mm -hmm. So all dollar stocks are not created equal in reality. That is so true. Uh, well, Alain notes that their rival Elite Diagnostics came to market as two, at $2 as well. So something to note. But what's your thought on how this company has performed since IPO in terms of their, not the financials, but the stock price? Well, the, the, the company took a while to, to essentially pop because normally companies that list on the JSC within a certain time frame, especially junior market companies, they tend to move within a certain time frame. So investors have become accustomed to price action that would be north of 15, 20% in less than three months. And to some extent, investors thought that this was a disappointment because it didn't trade the way other stocks traded right after it listed. But that had a lot to do with the climate, i.e. Um, interest rates increasing. And even before that, there would have been offers that didn't trade the way offers prior to those would have, would have traded. So we saw a gradual softening in terms of the IPO response um, leading up to Image Plus. So the disappointment in how it traded was not specific to Image Plus, but Image Plus was essentially a victim of what was already happening to other stocks before. So for example, Ediofocal in terms of um, dollar, even those stocks compared to how IPOs were trading three years before that, it wasn't the same. So even though investors could still get an outsized return compared to the market average um, on those stocks, it might have taken them a bit longer than expected. So again when we look at the bigger picture it's really a function of softening market conditions and these factors were not necessarily specific to image plus but given that image plus was listing at two dollars when many of the many of the previous offers leading right up to it were at a dollar that didn't that didn't help it from a sentiment standpoint so yeah. you had softer conditions and then something listing at twice the price is just like boy it really are coming with something that going to be at twice the price. It's harder for me to double my money because the idea is it's easier for a dollar to go to $2 than for a $2 stock to go to $4 in a short mm -hmm. space of time. So how mm -hmm. quick can I double my money? That's the thought process. And then a few a month later or a few weeks later, we had SSL and there's been no IPO since. What's your thought on where the market is now and are we ready? Is the market ready to go back to IPOs? Is it a good time now? Or do you think it's still not the best time that we need to wait some more? Well, I would say that market conditions have continued to soften. Um, we're starting to see signs of life in the last couple of weeks because um, we notice, you know, Fontana is on the move. Image Plus is on the move. So a lot of the trading activity is starting to happen in more specific securities. You're not seeing a market level rebound, but you're seeing a breakout in specific stocks. So if investors choose their stocks carefully, they can definitely outperform market conditions 
But again, it's not like back in the day when you could close your eyes and pick a stock and essentially beat inflation. So um, I think that there's opportunity, but investors have to be more specific because of the, the, the environment, i.e. interest rates have gone up. Um, there is a lot of risk as it relates to the environment, as it relates to trust. Investor trust has been broken. So there are some persons who might have come out the market to say, boy, I didn't understand this whole stocks thing from morning and then all I hear is fraud, 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 so I don't want to touch it. So I do think there are equity offers that could come, that could comfortably fill their allocation, especially if they're small offers, i.e. if they're offers below 500 million um, in terms junior of the offer market. size. Yes, junior market. Um, mainly because investors are in a wait and see mode, especially those that never left persons who stayed in the market and um, essentially rebalanced their portfolio, took some gains and want to look at fresh assets because our market is still in its infancy. There's still asset scarcity in our market. Investors want more sectors to look at, more assets to look at so they can spread their portfolio and not have to pick the same three, four or five stocks over and over when they want to build out their portfolio. So I still think from a big picture standpoint, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of expanding the, the menu of investor investments to look at. And that is really the foundation of why I think more equity offers could appeal to investors at this time, especially if the offer is fairly small. Mm. Well, I ask because, as you probably know, there are companies waiting to list, just looking at the market and trying to gauge when is the right time. There is one that I'm aware of that's expected this month, and it is a junior market offer. But I know all of these companies, all their bosses, their entire teams must be a little bit wary about coming to market. So there's all of that to consider. But we'll see. We'll see what happens and how they're received. One thing, Kalila, uh, you yes, know, it's also a function of, you know, determining what's the best structure. Because, for example, a company could always take debt on right now and list later on as a more attractive valuation. Because that's another consideration that we have to remember. As interest rates rise, instead of you potentially selling it to say 20% of your company, but might need to sell 25% uh, based on the valuation and the appetite of investors in the market as well. So pricing is one thing, but also, you know, being able to sufficiently gauge investors to see, you know, what's also out there. And, you know, you and Julie highlighted it as well that you're seeing specific concentrations in stocks, uh, but otherwise speaking, liquidity is significantly down. Like year over year, the JSC index and the value traded is down like 67%. Uh, the index is down 13%, the value traded itself and the volume down 67%. So that's kind of show you that the market is in a very peculiar place for mm -hmm. persons who have been in the JSC within the last four years post Wigton. Uh, but otherwise speaking, you know, it's not necessarily a bad time either because, for example, NTV Financial Group traded as low as $64 last week. Those prices haven't been seen since March 2017. So on one hand, you know, you have persons will take advantage of opportunities, but otherwise speaking, a lot of persons are just taking a precautionary approach because one thing that, you know, is of significant consideration is if there's an emergency and need to sell my stocks, 
can I especially sell my stocks without taking a heavy haircut? Loss. Or you know, mm-hmm. are there actually going to be any buyers that I can actually sell to in the first place? So there are many considerations right now in this environment. And, you know, as Julian said, when it comes like Apex, radio address price, you know, some persons just couldn't do any math because when IPO came out, from $1 to $1.32, $1.75, and it was a continuous 30, 32% increase and the math stuck. When $2 came out, people said they couldn't do any more maths. <laughs> you invest, but yet when something goes from $1 to $2 and you're doing different, the maths changes, everybody starts functioning. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. People actually said they, they, I know. Just, I know. The math just gave up on them. People afraid for numbers, man. Strong link says million dollar question. When will the JSD bottom out? If you have the answer, then you are at the front of the line for millions. <laughs> yeah, All right. So, so David, since you since you started, let's go to to your topic right now. You are looking at the audited financials for Jamaica broilers. Jamaica broilers, yes. Tell us what the highlights are. These, this is the audited financials, or these are the audited financials for the year Correct. ended April 2023. How did they do? So, you know, Jamaica Broilers really benefited significantly over the last year. I bite the constraints, you know, that would have come with heavy increase in inflation. So you saw our revenue went up by 23% from $74 billion to $91 billion. They're barely keeping up to $100 billion at the Jamaican company. And even the revenue levels that they're doing right now is still pretty significant from a general perspective. And, you know, profit from their continuing operations was up 56% from $3.43 billion to $5.38 billion. And, you know, part of, you know, why I said the key were continuing operations was because during within the first six months of their financial year at that point, they closed on the IT operations. They just said, uh, you know, based on all that's going on, even though we've spent, you know, quite a decade plus in this market, it is just no longer safe to do business. And they just call it a day. And, you know, it's kind of sad, but they chose what was best in their, in- was in their best interest. So, you know, in, on the continuing, on the net profit, after I include Haiti, you know, it was still up year over year, but at us lower, you know, 39% year over year increase. And, you know, Jamaica Broilers, it's pretty interesting from the perspective that if we didn't have COVID, they would actually be seeing the price trade after COVID. It wouldn't have higher interest rates, you know, making persons, you know, a little bit more apprehensive of equities in a sense. They would likely see a higher price on Jamaica Broilers. Because based on their current trading price of $35 and one penny as of today, relative to the price, relative to the earnings per share, $4.43, they're trading at 7.9 times price to earnings. And you know, when COVID came, the stock was trading as low as I think it was like $19. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, stock trading at probably during those times, probably four times earnings right now. And you know, what you make a brand that exam another example of just what you'd call a company improving, albeit, you know, the environment we're surrounded by, in the case of economic environment, interest rates, and so forth. However, based on, you know, what's happening in the overall environment of people in general, you're seeing, you know, the 
stock price not necessarily match that level of growth. If the stock price was still at 60, you probably sell it in more in, a little more interest based on how we mentally think of stocks on a nominal basis. Uh, but otherwise speaking, you know, your company did pretty well. So year over year, they actually increased the number of birds that they produced, meaning the chickens, by 16% to 84, 83 million birds. And, you know, that's largely coming out of Jamaica, which performed considerably well, considering that we would have just seen a rebound in tourism and everything else in the economy. So Jamaica did $45 billion in revenue last year. This year, $58 billion. That sounds nice. But so you look at the second result, which is basically you look at Jamaica as a standalone entity from an operating profit standpoint. It went from $4.85 billion in, net in operating profits to basically $7.56 billion in operating profit. So almost a doubling from that perspective. And you know, the USD had a similar level of growth went from $2.45 billion to $3.79 billion. So what you're overall seeing though is that Jamaica Broilers is benefiting from this significant rebound, increasing consumption in both local and domestic markets. And they're spending also, you know, $20 million US to increase capacity in the markets overseas as well in terms of the US market. So between the US and Jamaican market, they're just seeing considerable growth. And, you know, maybe Jamaican equities has taken a number six stake in the company, you know, putting their money where they believe they can going to see the next significant take off, especially for this business. So, so, right so they're doing really well. They're doing really well. But characteristic of the market right now, the stock price isn't reflecting that. So in cases like these, investors look to dividends. Is Jamaica Broilers a good dividend paying company? Actually, yes. It's funny. So if you're talking about it from a yield perspective, it's going to be on the lower end. But if you're speaking about it from the perspective of more so the growth, it's kind of it was more it's very good. So just checking back right here. So 2.23%, not a very high yield, but probably about a year, two years ago when COVID really crashed and everything the yield will probably be double what it is right now. But the dividend had, but I think the year-over-year -year comparison, the dividend went up by 11 cents. So that would be about 35% year-over-year increase in the dividend for the most recent period. And based on the fact they pay semi-annually, probably around October, we're gonna see another significant increase in the dividend payment. So you're, not, like you're gonna see a significant splurge or increase in the dividend considering the reinvestment into the businesses otherwise speaking is still good well who am i says darn pe is so low for 45 billion in earnings is there a lack of investor confidence in jbg well maybe it's in the money where the mouth is maybe we spent billions within the last couple of months in particular especially in march stocking up and jamaica barrels and you know the stock price itself is up this year so far, 12.94%. But otherwise speaking, it's just one of those other companies like Jamaica Broilers, uh, Lasco Manufacturing, Lasco Distributors, with Cinco. You're having significant growth in companies which represent 
significant economic activity in the economy, not talking about the banking sector, but more so manufacturing distributors, and you're not seeing that reflection in the stock price. So you have great value based on which other equation you're on, but you're not seeing that reflected in the stock price growth and this thing in the same breath. So it's an interesting dynamic because you have persons who have talked about how back in 2000, when the JSC was basically nothing, like the everything Jamaica brought us probably two or three dollars. And the dividend what is being paid out now is like 35, 40 percent of what they paid then. But otherwise speaking, it's just related to the current market we're in. I have a question for both of you before you go. And this question comes from Who Am I on our on our feed. And who am I wants to know, is it unpatriotic to short Jamaican stocks? The JSE has been promising short selling for a few years now. They say it's going to come the end of this year. But is it unpatriotic, Julian, to short a Jamaican stock? No. So a short is essentially a downside bet. So you can bet on the downside of a company. So typically when we buy stocks, we're taking an upside bet. So you buy something with the expectation that it's going to increase in value over a given time frame, and we call that a long position. But short positions are essentially us doing the opposite. So we're expected to make money off the downside. So if the stock falls by a certain amount in a certain time frame, then we make money. And I don't think that's unpatriotic. Um, there are some companies that we could argue are overvalued. And if we believe that a company is overvalued, then we can say, well, let's take a downside bet. I think it's trading above a value that it deserves to trade at. And that's what makes a thesis for, for shorts on any market, whether Jamaica, US, Brazil, wherever. So I don't think it's unpatriotic, not at all. What say you, David? It's not unpatriotic. The reality is shorting adds a necessary balancing piece to the equation. So Julian mentioned it, you're taking a downside bet. But what also happens is that you are creating a balance whereby persons can make money on both sides. So in the current framework of or local market, for example, the only way you can make money on a stock is buy low, sell high. Now, when the stock price is falling, for example, and to say negative news or something dramatic has occurred, you have no way to make money on that apart from potentially taking another long position, meaning buying the stock at a, what you'd call a low price and send it to a higher price. With shorting, you're taking the opposite approach. So you're selling high and buying low. What that means is you are selling the stock, collecting cash, and then you're going to buy back the stock at a lower price and keep that difference in your pocket. So in effect, you have the ability to actually benefit from, you know, the downside or the stock going down. And the reality is, just like how you have to actually sell the stock to get the cash to initiate a short position, when you do buy back the stock, you in turn can actually result in the stock price increasing. So we all remember the GameStop saga, the GameStop saga, right? So mm -hmm. in that case, you had a lot more first, the stock price increased considerably. And what tends to happen is that sometimes persons have margin or debt against you know somebody's short positions to fund them so let's just say the stock increases considerably the short sellers have to actually you know buy back this stock 
at a loss and that in turn itself can cause the price to go further. And let us say the stock price, you know, is falling. The short seller can take a position and when they do come back in, they're adding liquidity back to the market. So it's a, it's a necessary balance that is needed because realistically speaking, if we are shorting around in our market, we probably sell a lot more trading in the market and a lot more activity. But when you only have the one-way direction to make money, persons who would potentially, let us say, look at the buy queue or look at the liquidity in a particular stock and say, it might go up a little bit today or so on, but otherwise speaking, there's no uh, opportunity to benefit if the stock goes down. At this particular loss, and um, when you take that loss, and let us say you distill the stock, so somebody's going to be saying, wait, the stock price is going down further. And it's about continuous cycle, nobody benefits. Yeah. Unless you're going to, as I said, take on a long position and buy the stock. So, for example, you know, I've enjoyed making money of short selling in the US markets. So, when we had the banking crisis back in, uh, you know, that was May, you know, I'd have sold the stock at $28 and I bought it back at around probably $18 you know, $10 spread like that. And, you know, back around my birthday week, back in February, you know, I took a short position against a firm. And let me give you this entire put play. It's only short, but very simple and nice. So I shorted the stock. So I sold $18.30, took that money, bought a put option, which, you know, gives me the right to sell a stock at a lower price. So I bought a $14 put and an $18 put. The price of the stock, you know, fell after the earnings came out from $18 to $12.50 around that range. And, you know, I sold the put option, you know, which went up like almost double, took that put money, but by the stock at a lower price. So I made money on both the short and the put. And in this entire scenario, I didn't use any of my own cash because I was able to take a, you know, a short position, which got me cash. I took that cash to buy a put. That put went up in value, sold the put, bought back the stock, and you know I got cash as profit with no capital outlay. Watch the you smile, watch the smile, yeah. guys. David with advanced trading strategies. Is this smile <laughs> special learning? No, but can you like? Can you like? Imagine you have zero dollars. No, in, I know. On Friday, and by next Friday you're leaving with four or five figures in in profits, mm -hmm. and you put no upfront capital at all into the trade you just took a short position and then took that cash to execute another trade and all right guys so let me, let me explain for the market. viewers let me explain for the viewers who don't still don't understand what short selling is say you have this phone right i have this phone and you said to me kalila let me that phone till next week and i lend you my phone and i expect to get back my phone at a particular time right you turn wrong and sell my phone for your grand Turn around and sell my phone for $1,000. And you have that $1,000 now in your pocket. But you also know that at some point in time, I'm going to want back my phone. So you need to buy back the phone. Now you turn around and go downtown or wherever it is you go. And you find this exact same phone for $500. And you buy that phone for $500. And then you give me back a new phone. Because let's say the phone was new, so there was no sentimental value. You give me back the new phone that you only paid $500 for, and then you pocket the difference because you sold my phone for a thousand, buy back me a phone, buy back a phone for me for 500, give me back my phone, and then you kept the $500. That's how short selling works in layman's terms. So it's, substitute, it's very the, phone, fun. It's substitute very the phone fun. with stocks, 
And that's exactly what short selling is. And that's what David was doing with his put options and how he got money in his pocket to invest and buy the puts and all of that stuff. So one of these days we have to do a session on advanced trading strategies so people can, you know, get all of this and take advantage it's, of these opportunities. It's, very, it's, yeah, it's not overly technical, but to keep it simple, I didn't explain something a while ago. So with the put option, you're getting the right to sell the stock at a particular price. So in that same example, Kalila, right? Let's just say the stock goes from $1,000 to $500, and let us say I had a $750 put. That means that instead of you being able to sell the stock at $500 on the market, you can instead sell it at $750. So other persons, let us say, you know, who would want to take advantage of an exit, you know, let us say they own the stock and they want to sell at $500. They can buy my put option from me as a premium and, you know, they didn't get the ability to actually sell those shares at you know same fifty dollars. So like that's an example of a derivative in the international markets. But you know, end of the day, short selling allowed me to you know get that cash in hand to fund another trade. And mm -hmm. you know, that's just the reality and beauty about financial markets because look at margin loans. You're borrowing against the value of your existing equity portfolio or you know just securities portfolio. And, you know, this is just, you know, why I love talking on your program and other places, because once you get to appreciate these things, you just realize, wow, you can actually take an educated guess or just, you know, do good research and get rewarded for it through profit. I remember my friend sent me a post, you know, where he bought a put option Dollar General and Dollar General stock price from like $200 the day before earnings to like $150. And his put option, he bought from $50 US to $1,050 overnight. So $1,000 profit overnight, $150 grand Jamaican dollars. Nice. Very nice. We're going to have to leave it there, guys. Great discussion. We have to have a follow-up conversation at some point about short selling, especially when that finally does become available for Jamaica. But thank you guys so much for the conversation. Thanks, Julian. Thanks, David. You're welcome, Kalila. We'll take Done. a quick break and come back with final comments. Are we taking a quick break? I guess not. All right, so let's get into our final comments. We have a few of them here that I wanted to highlight. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Elaine says, who was left holding Sibony bag? <laughs> crying eyes, crying face. So those who didn't get out in time, who am I wants to know when Guyanese oil companies with that huge oil reserves fine shall go public. Guyanese oil companies, who am I? It's foreign multinational oil companies that are doing all that work, you know, but where the opportunity is in Guyana is the tremendous increase in their economy, in their GDP growth. The government ha now has all this money that they're collecting because of the oil industry. And so they have a lot of money to spend on development projects. So there's going to be a lot of investment, a lot of business opportunities in Guyana as a result of the oil that they found and they now have this new oil wealth that they have not necessarily um, investing in oil directly but everything else about the guyana economy humble boss says ipcl future bright 
Lanestra wants to know if budgeting is for everyone. I don't budget as I'm very disciplined when it comes to spending and investing. Well, that's awesome. If that works for you, then hey, go right ahead and do it. Aline says their Q1 reports, this is referring to IPCL, I believe, is due on, <coughs> excuse me, due on July 14. I expect it to be impressive. Steve says there's a push to sell Jamaica as a health destination. So if that goes well, IPCL is the future. Kish or Kifash says JBG broilers to the world, stable company, but they're stuck in the friend zone <laughs> with investor sentiment. I like how you put that. Elaine says the junior index of the JSC is currently in a bull run. Look for the gems, guys. Is it gems? Yes, but overall bull run? Mm, I'm not sure. I'd have to look. Javon says I think the main thing one can do right now is save religiously, look out for opportunities in the market and seize the day as there shall be opportunities in a down market. Emergency fund is a key to learn, grow, investing. Same thing I was just saying, still looking for that bull. Haven't seen it yet. Leon says, is the FinSec, is the financial sector slash JSC strong enough to handle shorts? That's all part of the discussion. Uh, follow up from that. Devon says, some stocks on the JSC are not liquid enough for shorting like main events and CHL, which is why the JSC is working on establishing rules. Remember, we had that interview with them last year about shorting. And one of the things they want to establish is parameters for short selling. And they made it clear that not all listed companies, uh, this strategy would be allowed for. It, it would be limited to those companies that are liquid enough, that do trade a lot. So think your TJH, think your NCB companies that every day you see them in the volumes, every day you see people buying and selling these particular shares. So not all stocks, this will be allowed for. And Christopher John says, has the JSC shelved plans for a micro exchange? This was a discussion, but it was never a plan. There were some who were calling for a micro exchange, but it never got to the point where it was a thing that actually was going to happen. I don't think that actually will happen based on what I've heard from the powers that be, the authorities. I think they believe that the junior exchange is enough and we don't need a micro exchange. All right, so that is gonna do it for our show this week. Where are we at? Where are we at? Thank you to our analyst panel. Thanks to Nicole earlier in the show, Nicole Barham. Thanks to you, our viewers, who continue to watch. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, and share with a friend. Subscribe to the newsletter at kalilaranos.com slash newsletter. Join the Money Mission community. I'm shameless about it because I believe that you need to be a part of this community. You can also see the replay of the Build Your Budget workshop last night inside the community. And remember to turn those post notifications on so you can see, be the first to see everything when it drops. We want to help people learn more about money so we can all get this money together. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Kalila Ray. Remember, that's my only account. I don't have any backup accounts. And guess what, guys? I'm finally verified on Instagram after waiting forever. I had to pay for it. But, you know, it's worth it because there are so many scam accounts out there, so many copycats. Everybody's in your DMs trying to tell you that I want you to invest with me when that's not even me. So part of the one of the benefits of paying for a verification is that they're supposed to actively and proactively 
take down all of these scam accounts. So hopefully it works and it's worth my $14.99. All right. So if you want to connect with the analysts this week, check the description box below for their contact information and also visit the website kalilareynolds.com for financial information you can use however you like it. You can watch, you can listen, or you can read. The full transcripts of all our videos are on the website, and we also have a podcast version of this program. Now tell a friend about taking stock because investing is the new sexy, so let's make it cool to talk about money. I'm Kalila Reynolds. Thanks for watching. See you next time. This money. <laughs> <laughs>